Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Today I'm going to tell you a story about once upon a time, a long time ago, in a faraway kingdom, there lived a man by the name of Haman and his lovely niece, Esther. Now, Esther was a beautiful girl. She had long black hair, and her eyes were as dark as the night itself. Her uncle was a kind and devoted man who wanted the very best for his niece. And so goes the story. Much like the story of Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, or Milan, with all the intrigue, drama, and suspense, along with a moral tale to tell, The story of Esther did not make it into a Disney film. It almost did not make it into our Bible either. You realize that God's name is not mentioned once throughout the entire book. And yet, the silence about God is quite deliberate. Not to make the point about God is is not to say that God is inactive in human situations, but on the contrary, that God is hidden behind all events. And in this story, we see God at work continually in the lives of our main characters, grounded in their faith and trust in God. The book of Esther is set in the era of the Persian Empire, the most powerful kingdom of the ancient world. Though only in power for a little over 200 years, the Persians conquered lands that covered over 2 million square miles. The story told is about a young orphan Jewish girl who lives with her uncle Mordecai, a minor official in the Persian court of King Ahasuerus. Now the book reports a series of incidents which lead Esther to becoming queen just just in time to abort a plot that would have wiped out all the Jewish people in the Persian Empire. Now King Ahasuerus was known to be a cruel and capricious man driven by sensual desires. We are introduced to him at the beginning of the book of Esther, where he staged a grand festival designed to exhibit the power and wealth of his kingdom that lasted over six months. At the end of that festival, he held a seven-day feast with food and drink. Too much drink, obviously, because on the seventh day of the feast, the king and his party became quite drunk. And in his drunkenness, he called for his beautiful queen, Queen Vashti, to come and parade before his guest. Obviously, offended by his request, she promptly refuses. This, in turn, enraged the king. He deposes her. After a time to reconsider his anger, he seeks to find a replacement for Vashti. His counselors advise him to hold a beauty contest and from amongst the most beautiful women of the land to choose a new queen. And that's how Esther becomes queen of Persia. Shortly thereafter, we're introduced to the villain of the story. 
He is an ambitious and arrogant noble by the name of Haman. Haman was a favorite of the king, and he apparently had done something that allowed him to be placed in a position of very high honor. Now, the king passes a decree commanding that all his officials must bow down and honor Haman whenever he passed by. But there was one man in the city that refused to do this, Esther's uncle Mordecai. Now, Mordecai was a righteous man. He wasn't going to bow down to anyone other than God. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Having learned who Mordecai's people were, Haman scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom. Haman schemed about how to carry out this plan and finally spoke to the king, telling him, There is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, whose customs are different from those of all other people, and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. Well, because the king trusted Haman's judgment, he decreed that all the Jews should indeed be eliminated. With that much of the story in mind, let us now turn to today's scripture lesson from the book of Esther. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province... Wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts 
Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Opening scene. We see Mordecai standing outside the king's gate, wailing. He's frantic. He has obeyed God. He has refused to bow in worship to another man. He has done the right thing. And now his obedience has brought about the threat of annihilation to his people. They will soon be destroyed, and it's all his fault. So he tears his clothes, puts on a sackcloth, and throws ashes on his head and makes his way to the walls of the palace where he cries out in bitter tears. Inside the palace walls, Esther has not yet heard about the king's edict. She has no idea what danger her people are in, but there's no ignoring the loud cries of her uncle outside her home. So she sends one of her attendants out to the gate to see what's wrong. And Mordecai sends the attendant back with the news of Haman's plans, asking, along with a copy of the king's edict. Now, Mordecai is very clear on what he wants. He expects Esther to do something about this impending disaster. He expects her to go and talk to the king. He realizes that she is the only one, the only one who can do anything about the predicament. But Esther does not want to go to the king. She doesn't even want to get involved. She explains that this is not a good time to approach the king. In fact, there's never a good time to approach the king because he's a very dangerous man. And she might be putting her own life in danger if she tries. She's afraid. Pure fear. We all know what fear is. Fear is a very real emotion. And some fear may be healthy, but some is not so healthy. It can control us. It, it can limit us. It can enslave us. It can even paralyze us. God doesn't want that for us. God doesn't want fear to rule our lives. We've all experienced being afraid or anxious about something. You may fear what people think of you or fear not having enough money or fear of public speaking or flying or being far from home or, or spiders, fear of failure or rejection, fear of losing a loved one or of disease or pain or death. We all long for more of God's peace in the midst of our, the stresses of our lives. Do you know how many times throughout Scripture we are told to fear not? It's been said that there are 365 fear nots in the Bible. One fear not for every day of the year. Actually, there are more than 365 fear nots in the Bible, and thank God, because we need to be reminded to fear not and to trust and obey God every day. If God brings an attention to a problem to us, he probably wants us to do something about it. Remember, God is at work continually in the lives of all 
who are grounded in their faith and trust in God. And that's what Mordecai is trying to tell Esther when he says to her, who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. He's telling Esther, it's come to your attention and you have the tools to deal with the problem. So now do something about it. Mordecai is also afraid, yet by doing what he, he can about the problem, he faces his fear. He doesn't have the ear of the king, but he knows the queen. So he tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, goes to her house, and weeps and wails as loud as he can manage. Now, he may not get the king's attention, but he certainly intends to get Esther's. Mordecai overcame his fear by doing what he could. And that's what Mordecai is telling Esther when he says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Now faced with an overwhelming problem, she has no idea how to handle, she sends a message to Mordecai saying, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, fast and pray for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. My maids and I will fast and pray as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. In essence, she's saying, I fear the king of Persia, but my faith in the God of Israel is greater, so I will trust and obey God. It was in April of 2000, soon after historian Deborah Lipstadt won a court victory over Holocaust denier David Irving, that she went to hear the scroll of Esther read at her local synagogue celebration of Purim. When she heard the following words, who knows, perhaps you have come to a royal position for just such a time as this. She listened in light of her own recent experience with the trial and then said, I heard that and it made me think, who knows, if not for this very reason, I got the education I got, I, I got the upbringing I got. I got the job I got. Maybe we're all meant to do one something really significant. Some of us do it on the public stage and some do it alone by helping a child. Nobody knows of it. Nobody sees it. But we're all meant to do something. And maybe this is the something I was meant to do. Lipstadt's moment in history limelight was unusual, but her reaction to the book of Esther was not. P 
people of faith, both Jews and Christians, have been reading this book for millennia and reacting in similar ways. Something about this book makes us all take stock of ourselves and wonder, what is God up to in my life? Something about this book makes us laugh and cry and thank God all at the same time. God has given us this book of Esther for just such a time as this. Now, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. You have a Bible. I want you to go home and read it for yourself. But suffice to say, Esther wins. Haman loses big time. But realize that Esther won only, only because she overcame the fear by placing her trust in God. She overcame her fear by realizing it was up to her to deal with the problem. If she shirked her duty, the problem would not go away. In order to meet the challenge, she had to do some serious fasting and praying. She overcame because she made a choice. Her choice was between giving in to the fear of the unknown or to trust and obey God. The one thing that we fear most in our lives is the unknown, the unforeseen, the, the, un, the uncontrolled. Such fear has the, the ability to immobilize and haunt our dreams. It's when we are faced with such fear that we most need to make a choice as well. Will you give into your fears or will you trust and obey God? Do you remember the old gospel hymn, Trust and Obey? It was written in 1886 by a Presbyterian pastor, the Reverend John H. Samus. And it goes like this. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Friends, it is only in building a strong faith foundation in God's word and placing our trust in God that, that we can find freedom in our lives. So do as Esther did. Ground yourself in God's word and place your trust in God. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen. <laughs>